All right, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast. Stephen, Excellent. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, brethren, all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation about Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodges or respective craft and bodies, etc. Um, take the opportunity to ask you to please connect with us and ask questions either in YouTube chat or on the uh, chat room side or on Facebook or on a Discord server. Um, and hey, while you're there, please review us and give us a thumbs up and all that kind of stuff because it really affects our ratings in the podcast land. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Stephen Chung. I'm a decorated senior Dean Lane, a past master of Prince Charles Lodge here in BEA, beautiful Kelowna, British Columbia. And today with me is uh, a very worshipful brother, David Colbath. And a very worshipful brother, Matt Appel. And let's let David go first. Well, I, I, I constantly do that, Matt, and uh, I, I, people put ours in my name all the time, so it's Apple, Apple, Matt Apple, just like the fruit, <laughs> but much, much better, much better. <laughs> so people put ours in my name, Cold Breath and Cold Birth and all that, so I understand. I, but I, I, I was saying, I was talking about the show the other day, and I said, Matt Apple, Matt Appel, I, I said it because I know, I know I shouldn't say it, and so it was in the <laughs> Worst thing that happened. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Stephen. I'm David Colbeth uh, from Bonnie Lake, Washington, uh, just south of Seattle. And uh, what am I? I'm past master. I'm a past district deputy, a Scottish Rite Mason in Tacoma, uh, a few other things too. And uh, I'm just excited that the show should be working now. We apologize. We had some live glitches last week. Uh, YouTube is changing all this on us. And so we're rapidly trying to uh, fit into the mold that they want. And so we'll see. Hopefully the show works out. So, uh, I'm excited. Matt? Hello, I'm Matt Apple. I'm a past master of, well, twice past master of uh, Robert Burns Lodge, which is now Mill Creek 243 here in, in uh, just north of Seattle. And uh, I'm currently the sitting district deputy in District 2 of the Grand Lodge of Washington. So um, I'm just happy to be here. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> let's just jump right into our, uh, our apologies as uh, David alluded to, we're having technical issues as we uh, try to move forward. We're also missing our other co-host, Connor Massey, who's still dealing with some uh, medical issues he can't figure out yet. So our thoughts are with him, and uh, you know he you know, is missing not being on our show uh, for the last little while um, and sends his regrets. Um, today, we we're going to talk about um, the past master's jewel of the 47th proposition. Um, of the first book of Euclid, which in Canada, the diagram is attached to our past master's jewel. Uh, so that's why we have that. So I'm going to give, give this little uh, thing here a short read, and uh, then we can go on from there. Um, the 47th proposition of the first book of Euclid, uh, giving credit for this, uh, it's done by uh, Greg H. Levinston. And he published this in the Pillars of Light in 2005. And it was reprinted in uh, Canmass on July 26, 2006. And it reads, the above proposition is known by most brethren as the Pythagorean, Pythagorean proposition. 
we also know it <clears throat> is clearly represented in our past master's jewel. But very few know about the connection between the Pythagoras and Freemason. In fact, the average individual Mason or profane apparently knows little and cares less about one of the greatest philosophers and deepest thinkers of which tradition and history tells us. As Masons, we should familiarize ourselves with the teachings of the ancient Seven, although unfortunately it's very difficult to find detailed information regarding Pythagoras. It has, however, been definitely established that he was born on the island of Samos about 585 BC. Incidentally, it was in this period that some of the world's famous teachers, prophets, and conquerors lived. Pythagoras was a contemporary with the prophet of Ezekiel, whom he met when the prophet was a prisoner in Babylon. Pythagoras learned from Ezekiel that, and other captive Hebrew sages, the mystic lore of the Jews, and likewise studied the Chaldean wisdom after which he went to Egypt, where he spent 22 years acquiring all the secret knowledge of the Egyptian priesthood, into whose inner circles, like Moses, he was initiated. During the time <clears throat> he was journeying over the unknown world of uh, other great teachers were doing likewise. These included Confucius, the Chinese reformer, and Buddha, the great prophet of India. Nearer to his home lived the famous seven sages of Greece and Salem, the great lawgiver. Other contemporaries included something I can't pronounce, Cyrus the Great and uh, Croesus. Pythagoras dedicated himself to knowledge and reasoning. The fact that he reasoned correctly is shown by the modern demonstration of his ideas in relation to the vibratory theory of matter being controlled by exact mathematical relations. In fact, Pythagorean, the Pythagorean philosophy had a profound influence on the thought of mankind during the last 2,500 years. Unconsciously, the achievements of Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle in the field of mental exploration and their contribution to the universal knowledge are marked with the Pythagorean Pythagorean stamp. Finally, Pythagoras taught a philosophy based on common sense. He appealed to the reasoning powers rather than occult beliefs and superstitions. And that is our paper for today to read. And um, a whole bunch of stuff in there you probably didn't know, eh, guys? Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's one of those, you know, you, you learn in whatever school, middle school, the A squared plus B squared equals C squared thing. And you don't really think much about it after that, that the you know where it came from or, or or that it might have other further interpretations or meanings. And yet here we are talking about that the, that it does. And uh, David. What do you know about it? <laughs> well, uh, the one thing I learned was that the 
Passmaster's jewel is, or Passmaster's symbol is different in different jurisdictions. And it sounds like you guys use that for certain problem of Euclid for your symbol. And in Washington, as an example, the Passmaster's jewel is, yep, Matt has got it on the screen. Matt, if you want to make some noise, that'll, or maybe talk about it a little bit. Yeah, that's my hey, Passmaster's jewel that the launch presented me. So if I start talking, it's going to go away. But yeah, so if you saw Matt's picture, it's the compasses. And normally the Master Mason has the compasses and the square. And the square is, of course, to square your actions and some other things symbolically. And Masons, operative Masons use it to, to square their work and make sure the building is uh, level. Or it's not level, but uh, square. And the reason the past master... We in Washington we take that away and we replace it with a quadrant, uh, and uh, that is supposedly to indicate that the master has learned all of those, all he can basically with from the square, and that now he's moved on to a higher level in the quadrant. And uh, in in the. I just telling the guys, uh, I, I was actually putting together a new ritual for our past master's apron. And so I, I wrote some things, uh, for example, the sun in that picture, the sun represents light, the great luminary of nature, it rises in the east, regularly diffusing light and luster to all within a circle. And it's pattern for imitation, the master of the lodge is charged to spread and communicate light instruction to the brother of the lodge. The sun also signifies that past master has observed the sun at meridian height, the glory and beauty of the day, the setting sun in the west, and also the rising sun in the east. And while we're reminded that every mason is symbolic, uh, symbolically to use the compasses to keep his actions within due bounds, the quadrant identifies the angle at which the compasses are open. So the, the quadrant measures those due bounds and the quadrant proves that the angle of the compasses are set to 60 degrees. So if anybody ever asks you, how do you know how, where you're supposed to set the compasses? Well, it's set to 60 degrees, and this is an angle of equilateral triangle, and it's a symbol of balance. So that's why the compasses are set at 60 degrees to symbolize balance. Well, I don't know. I kind of I like you guys' uh, past master's thing. This is the one that they give me. Uh -huh. Of course, if you look at that, you can see it's got the master square, which, of course, when you see the whole thing, it's just... It hangs upside down like that. And then we have the symbol for the Pythagoras theory in the droplet. And that's what we give all our past masters. Um, of course, we get a, a regular apron as well, but we don't get any pretty emblems in the middle. We just get the upside down uh, um, square. So, is it, so do you not have the quadrant? You don't have the, the quadrant underneath the square as a past master? No, no. In some, in some jurisdictions, their past master is the compasses, the square, and the quadrant. In our jurisdiction, if you see all three of those, that's actually the deputy or the grand, the deputy, the grandmaster, or the grandmaster. The difference oh. in the, so the grand, so, and as the master's apron, he has the sun, of course, and then it changes from the square to the quadrant. And then when you become deputy, you get the square back, but it changes from the sun to the star because you're a deputy. <laughs> and then when you become grandmaster, it goes back to the sun. 
So you have, uh, yeah, you, are you able to grab your apron there? Yeah, uh, so when you, when you get to Grandmaster, you have the surfaces, the square, the quadrant, and the sun. So this is our past master's agent. All right, so when we, when we look at ours, we just hit the upside down keys. That's the indication of being a past master in British Columbia anyway. The, uh, everybody else has little rosettes down here, all right? But when we go into the master's chair, we actually get this apron installed on us. Right. Oh, you you wear your past master's apron as your during your yeah because once you're an installed master right that's what you can wear that right so um, our lodges um, some lodges up here uh, they have all their decorations a logo of some sort or or something like that that's in the center of the apron where um, this big white area right. Where they put their logo or symbol for their lodge, we don't. But uh, uh, because it, it creates a, a more of a nightmare with respect to uh, having to have a whole bunch of aprons, and then we buy them one. Uh, our lodge gives each past master their apron um, uh, at no charge. Some lodges up here they have to buy their own past master's apron. So is it is it uh, written down somewhere what the past master's apron or the past master's jewel look like? Um, well, I know that when you order for a past master's jewel for somebody in British Columbia, you get this, right? The, from from here down, right? That it comes complete, um, and that's it. Well, oh, you get a certificate, of course, but um, there's nowhere. Uh, written as far as I know anyways as to what it has to be so I just know that when we order them that's what gets sent so Stephen is that the you said you receive that apron when you're installed as master so you don't wear the square encompasses as master uh, when we we have a collar a uh, uh, worshipful master's collar has the square encompasses hanging from but not the apron okay but not on the apron. And so the apron is, are those, you, say, you call them upside down T's, is that, is that actually a, a level? Is it representative yeah. of a level or? Yeah. Okay. Right. That's what I think it is. Anyway, it's supposed to be representative of the level. Um, I haven't done a bunch of research on the aprons and, and the symbols on them because I was one of these uh, rebels that wasn't going to pay attention to titles and things like that. Uh, you know, until I actually had to. And then, you know, once you became director of ceremonies, you have to be responsible and call guys by the proper titles and things. So I had to start learning about those aprons and trying to identify which one is what. Um, but so I, I got to the aprons and the design of the aprons uh, and the thickness of the border, right? And I got, I got as far as that so I could identify them when they showed up in our lot. But I never got to the different symbols on each apron and apparently you know things like the rosettes that would be in the bottom corners have a particular meaning so one day i'm going to learn about these things yeah huh. right. interesting our, our our senior warden has the level and so that's what's on his apron you would think that that would be a the compass the square would be there for the, for the master and not the level so i wonder one would think right 
So what does your senior warden wear? Does he have a regular apron or does he, what does he, he have? A, he has, um, he has a, 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 he has a level, but it's a different picture, right? It's a different uh, style of a level. And junior warden has a plumb line hanging from his, right? Um, and so are there, and there, are they in the three positions, just like on your apron? Or is it one yeah. in the center? Uh, in the center. Just one in the center, right? And so they have a, a regular apron with just that hanging in the center. No... It'd be in, in, in the decorative area, right down here. Yep. Right? Um, but yeah, that's all that's there on there. Even. And then those ones get passed around. But when you get installed as a worshipful master, they give you this one, which <clears throat> technically is your password. But it's the apron that our lodge uh, masters wear. So interesting. I know, in, I know in some other lodges, they have really uh, quite decorative aprons that their worshipful masters get to carry around for the year and then they got to pass it on interesting some guys you know the some lodges where they get the past master gets to buy their own kind of creates a bit of a minor issue because they get real some of them you know some guys have a lot more money than others so they buy these really fancy decorative things and they get embroidery done and they and they do all this really fancy stuff, and then they go shop at lodges, and guys go, "Wow, that's really cool." And then, you know, but what's that mean? And, and you know, it creates a whole bunch of a discussion, which is kind of cool because you're talking about things. But um, nobody else can. Not everybody's going to have that same, so it's not equal. So our lodge has chosen to buy these ones and, and supply these, um, so that every wishful master is getting the same thing going down the line. So according to the, the BC and Yukon uh, uh, freemasonry.bcy.ca uh, website, which is a treasure trove of information, if I may say so, the, um, these, there appears to be no official name for the squares or levels which decorate the apron of a, of a master or a past master. The 1815 constitutions described them as perpendicular lines upon horizontal lines, thereby forming three, several sets of two right angles. Originally, they were to be a two-inch wide ribbon. Same definition appears present in the constitutions, although nowadays they are usually of silver or white metal. They were designated only for the purpose of distinction. Multiple right angles. That makes sense. Perpendicular and horizontal lines creating multiple right angles. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Okay. I learned something new today. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Uh, all I know is we don't have them, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so. Does that change um, from uh, jurisdiction or, or like you guys are in two different uh, districts down there, right? Uh, so does that change? Different districts in jurisdiction, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the past master's apron, at least, is sort of a lodge thing. The lodge, you know, they, they got me this one. And I've seen guys with, like you said, fancy, you know, white ones with white embroidery on that look really cool or other ones that are that are more plain. Um and it's it's sort of a lot. Traditionally, the lodge buys it, although not in every case, like you said. Um, and <laughs> David was saying earlier, I forget if it was in the green room or after the show started, but the uh, that we he's seen past master presentations that were basically, you know, hey, here's your apron. And uh, and uh, it's I've seen those. I've seen I saw one where the guy was handed it in the uh, in the lobby after the meeting. He said, oh, I forgot to give you your apron. Here it is. So oh, it's, really? Uh, it's definitely treated 
differently from lodge to lodge, shall we say? Yeah, in our lodge, uh, well, actually, in, in our district, the same thing happens in every lodge in our district. At the installation, the outgoing uh, master, he gets present, uh, he gets presented with the uh, past master's jewel that I showed you, right? And gets installed into the past master's chair. Then he gets his certificate uh, presented to him, and we have uh, a past grandmaster, uh, most worshipful brother Bill Ferguson Sr. Uh, he has this unofficial ceremony that he does um, with the presentation of the past master's jewel where he goes in to explain Euclid's 47 proposition. And um, sometimes it takes eight minutes, sometimes it takes 22 minutes, depending on his day and uh, what he's remembering and how quickly he's remembering it, right? Uh, and, but yeah, I, I, I think somebody's... Uh, probably do to start taking over that presentation of that particular jewel at every installation because uh, Bill's getting on in, in, in his years there and his memory's not quite as good as it used to be. So <clears throat> he's, uh, he's, he's hinting at having somebody else take it over. But that's a particular ceremony that's done at the end of our, uh, at the, not the, he's the first guy installed after the Worshipful Master. So we install the immediate past master and we give them the jewel, the certificate and all that stuff. It's all presentation um, in recognition of their efforts, right? You know? Yeah, we don't even have a, that's not an office here. That's a, a lot, some lodges will I'll say you can sit on the, you know, congratulations, you can sit next to the master kind of thing. And I've heard of lodges that have a, an immediate past master's jewel that they pass down from, from one to the next. But, um, my lodge doesn't do anything like that. We, it's basically, you know, thank you for your service. <laughs> How'd you go? Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> um, no. Our, our, we actually have a position in lodge. Well, the media past master sits to the left of the worshipful master uh, so that he can sit there and offer his guidance and, and knowledge uh, and assistance to the uh, new master. Um, which is usually a bunch of whispering, keeping him on track, right? <laughs> which is our, my lodge's, Robert Burns's tradition was that the immediate past master became the Tyler. So we're oh. taking the guy who knows the most about how the lodge works and saying, thank you very much now, go sit outside the door. And you know, <laughs> it never made any sense to me, but, you know, they've done it for years before I joined, so everybody kept doing it kind of thing. It just Well, you wouldn't want to create innovation in Mason. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've always done it. Yeah, and, and in our lodge, um, as in most of the lodges in our district, um, the progression from Worshipful Master goes to the immediate past master for that next year. And then in our lodge, he goes to the director of ceremonies because then, you know, he spent his time in the East. He's given wise counsel to the, to the uh, his successor, and now he's to keep order and, and direction in the lodge as the director of ceremonies. So... Our director of ceremonies is the only guy in our lodge who has really the freedom of the floor and doesn't have to answer to the wishful master as far as getting up, going around, doing things in lodge, right? Um, so he's also expected to be generally the most uh, um, experienced or, or educated guy as far as match position. Interesting. 
Yeah. The, the only explanation I've ever heard for having the past master go out the door to be the Tyler, which I totally disagree with as well. I, I think it's silly to export that knowledge. But <clears throat> the theory was that the master has been traveling through his year and hopefully as an officer. And so in theory, he knows as many or lots of the Masons in the area. So when they come knocking on the door, they'll the, the Tyler, as the Tyler, he can identify them and welcome them because he knows them all. It's the only... <laughs> Only thing I've accepted, but I, I still think it's silly to put the past master out the door. Yeah, why would you put the guy with all the knowledge outside the door? That one doesn't make sense. Now, there's uh, some past masters I'd like to kick out the door. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, because, uh, well, you know, the fellow that... Uh, I wish I had it handy. It's in my my little box, uh, shadow box on it. But the fellow who gives the past master's jewel uh, presentation, uh, Bill Ferguson, he's an old woodworker. So he's made a whole bunch of little four or five inch gavels, right? And every past master he gives that jewel to gets a little gavel, which is to remind him of the power he now has compared to what he used to have. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't make much noise, right? Um, but it's supposed to be a, a representation of that. So that you know, it's he, he says, sit it on your desk. When you think that you should be telling the worshipful master something, look at that first. <laughs> but um, it, it's true, though. I mean, past masters do get a little. Um, um, overzealous often in, in offering counsel because you know they they've just done it they know it they went through that or they had an experience and and it makes them um, jump up too quick right uh, so I can see what you mean by wanting to send some of them outside that <laughs> right? we've been very lucky in our lodge most of our past masters they just end up filling in other roles doing their thing kicking in where they need um, and uh, Adding to our living um, living documents, um, I don't know if this is something you guys have picked up on or not, but here in our lodge, uh, one of our worshipful masters created a set of living documents, a binder for each position um, in going up the line, and it gets passed down to the guy or to the uh, you pass it down to your successor, and he has all your notes. All things that are important on things that have to be done and can see where you struggled and you know it's a living document to help the worshipful master and all the line officers in fact um, do better in their roles it's always been kind of a fantasy of mine to have one of those books we've had a book in the past and they get lost it seems like and then uh, it would be great to have that kind of history right if you I mean we have um, all the books for all the officers a template. So if you guys wanted a, a template book to start with, and you just got to print them off and put them in a binder, uh, I'd be happy to share that information with you guys. Because um, I think anything that can keep our officers on track and, and moving in a positive direction is, is uh, worthwhile sharing for everybody. Um, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah. Well, we're we're getting a bit off topic, but just to drag us further off topic, the uh, the 
David has alluded in the past to the District 2 uh, Lodge leadership training that we do uh, every fall. And the that's actually one of the classes that we do sometimes is uh, on officer binders and how, you know, you want to have one for every officer or just the top three or, or whatever. And having those, we have a templates galore for that. So, yeah, if if anybody out there wants one, let me know and I will I will gladly produce the the, the class uh, notes that we have. Well, I, I was given a secret invite to your event by your chef, Brother uh, ah. Haynes, and so I may crash your party in September. We'll see. <laughs> he would do that. <laughs> we were deputies together, so I, I get a little bit extra there. Yeah, it is, it's kind of when I wish I was still living on the coast where Seattle's only a couple hours away. Yeah, it's going down there. That would have been really cool to down and visit you yeah. Now, now it's like an eight-hour trip. Yeah. <laughs> Not easy to do down and back in one day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, now, back to the past masters. Uh, so is there anything else you guys do specific for your past masters in your area or your lodges? I think in our lodge, we don't, the lodge does buy the apron and they kind of, but you get kind of a set amount. And so if you want to get something a little more fancy, then you could pitch in a little bit more if you wanted to. But most of them, uh, I think, I think we give a couple hundred bucks for an apron. So it's, it's a pretty generous amount, but then a guy can go and pick, you know, pick his own. I, I do like the idea of the same apron. I go into lodges where all the past masters have the same apron and it looks really cool. I do like that. But it's also kind of nice to do your own thing too, right? When we were talking about having fancy aprons or not so fancy aprons, depending on money, I there's lots of discussion. We've had in our grand lodge lots of discussion about aprons, whether the styling of them, whether they should be rounded or square. And one of the things that the guys always bring back and bring up is that you know in the ancient times or older times the guys would make their own aprons and so some were better at it and and adorning them than others and so some had really fancy aprons with all kinds of symbols and things on them and others didn't they just were kind of plain so i think it depends on the person yeah maybe some money too involved nowadays but uh if a, if a guy wants to have a little more fancy apron i've seen some traveling white apron we call them traveling aprons or white aprons for masons that you know, maybe a master mason that has it doesn't have an office yet, and uh, or and we in most cases I don't think we I haven't seen it anyway that a master or a warden or anybody would bring their apron with them to visit a lodge. I don't know, Matt. Really? If you, we we don't do that generally. The lodge the aprons generally stay at the lodge. I don't know, Matt, if you have a different experience in Washington or in your area. Um, yeah, actually, our guys usually usually bring their aprons with them. Uh, we have, like you said, we have a set of traveling aprons. We have a set that live there and at the lodge, and usually the ones when we buy new ones, the most recent set of old ones becomes the traveling ones. So if they get dirty or whatever, it's not the end of the world. Okay. And yeah, with our no our lodge specifically, we the, I frequently see our master wearing his master's apron out. In the, oh, that's cool. When he's visiting. That's cool. Um, you guys say traveling aprons. Like you guys, I mean, everybody has their own master mason apron once they become a master mason. Right? Well, they have. You know, we have just the white apron, the white lambskin apron, and so, you know, I, I asked around a lot when I was looking to travel. Should I wear that or should I wear something else? You know, should I get a decorative white apron to wear as I'm traveling or something? And and uh, a 
lot of guys said, well, you do whatever you want to do. And so I wore, I, I kind of knew I was in line and you know, going up the line and I knew I was going to have a past master's apron eventually. And so I chose to wear my white apron everywhere. So it's a little bit rugged, r- rough and rugged <laughs> now, but it's, it's, it's a uh, worthily worn. Uh, so I, but there's a lot of guys that'll buy a nice, fancy embroidered white apron as they're traveling. See, when we go in as a, as a master mason, we get one of these leather aprons that's all done out. And here and here are just little rosettes, right? And same as up here, it's just a rosette, right? And so I guess we spend a chunk more money on the, uh, on the aprons when they become masters. Maybe we need to scale that back a bit and just go with the white lambskin leather apron and when they go up the chairs, they can look forward to getting a, uh, you know, something a little more decorative. Yeah, that's the way ours is too. You get, you get at our lodge, you get your your white one when you're initiated, and then the next time the lodge is going to give you an apron is is if you're a past master. Well, and like you like like your lodge, Matt. Our our lodge, each uh, principal officer, uh, they get an, a lodge apron in a. They got a big black case and all that, like EBDGMs have, and so on, and uh, carry all their garb in it. And we give that to each of the principal officers for their year, and then they pass the whole thing down to the next guy. Um, and because usually in their in their apron cases that we've got, you know, we put the constitution, bylaws, and things like that, um, so they're properly prepared with all that stuff, right? Um, now I just give them a link. <laughs> So, Stephen, do they do you get a white, just a plain white apron? At all, never. Yeah. Oh, really? We get presented with it when you become. Wow. Well, okay. We get the we get the white aprons as an entered apprentice and a fellow craft. You show up to lodge, you wear the lambskin or white leather apron, and uh, accordingly, and then. Um, when you become a master mason, we get, in our lives, we get one of these aprons I showed you, right? Um, where I think that's pretty standard practice around the beginning, right? I don't think anybody uh, gives out this plain lambskin apron anymore. Um, I'm sure to say it's a whole ton of gold you get, because these are like 250 bucks, right? You know, or maybe our cost of initiation would go way down. Because we we include that in the cost of our initiation, of course, right? Um, so do they just borrow a white apron during that the first two degrees? Or yeah, they... yeah, we have. Uh, well, we we give them one when we initiate them uh, out of our out of our uh, supply cabinet, and they they just use it. But we give it to them and tell them to take it with them wherever, uh, so that when they're traveling, they have an apron, right? Um, it comes out of the pile of travelers' aprons, we call them. We got a stack of old white aprons that when visitors show up and don't have uh, their own apron with them because they're traveling for whatever reasons, uh, then we give them that uh, to wear. So they don't they don't keep it, though. They just use it for the degrees. Right. Well, that, well, they, they our guys keep them in their, in their uh, suit jackets until uh, they get presented with one of these ones when they yeah. be raised as a master. So, 
without having to reveal any secret work here, in, in mm -hmm. part of the degree in ours, the I guess the apron lecture is not secret. Technically, it's uh, in, in full text, and we do it for the youth and stuff. So in our apron ceremony, it talks about that it's uh, they when they present the white apron, they say, this is yours to keep throughout an honorable life and to be buried with you in your coffin. Is that is there a similar language? Yes. Yes. Right. But their apron changes as they progress. Right. Interesting. But so in the, as an entered apprentice, they get that, that apron lecture. Um, and then there's um, as a fellow craft, they get another lecture, which tells them how they wear it different. How they wear it. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, which so is the same which apron. Which in, in our, I think in our jurisdiction at Matt, if you read it, if you look at other jurisdictions, I, I think ours is backwards. Uh, how we, how the Philip Craft and Master Mason are to wear their apron, I think, I think it should be the reverse. Just if, if you imagine that in your mind, I, I don't know how Stevens is, uh, but uh, in a lot of jurisdictions they're reversed, and it makes more sense because our, our ritual, the way it talks about it, it has to, it gives an excuse. In the master mason apron how you wear your master mason apron it says but that is obsolete <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that anymore well why do we tell you to do it that way if we don't do it that way anymore <laughs> so uh, uh, is that the same for matt yeah it's a whole state the whole state's that way yeah it's the same ritual yeah. uh, okay uh, yeah, we don't have we don't have four or five rituals in our jurisdiction we only have one right well you see it's different in our lodge we wear our, our entered apprentice and fellow craft aprons differently than to the next lodge beside us in the same building. Um, and like some of the, some of the lodges I see, they give a plain white apron to the entered apprentice and then the fellow craft gets hung with rosettes on. All right. Which is different from us. We just wear ours differently. Uh, same apron, but wear it differently. See, I, I read, when I read the apron lecture again, it struck me one time we kind of gone through this cycle of do they get to keep the apron? Do they not get to keep the apron? Do they get to keep the apron? Do they not get to keep the apron? And I would remind the guys when I, when I, you know, in the apron lecture, it says, this is yours to keep throughout an honorable life and then to be laid on your coffin. And so when I take it away from him and say, well, give it back to you the next degree. Well, it doesn't say anything about taking away from you <laughs> to give it to you. This is yours. And so it always kind of bugged me when they would take it and then give it back. And then they said, well, but then the information doesn't get written on the inside. I said, I've been here 11 years and I never got my information written on the inside. I finally found a and wrote it in myself. You know, <laughs> just ask the secretary. You can write it in there. It's not a big deal. And so... And just when they would take it back because we tell them as the master the master is the one supposed to be delivering the lecture this is yours it doesn't right. say for the, until the next degree that, that's why i tell them that uh like so we the same same words right that's why after the meeting they tell the guy, yes take that put it in your jacket keep that uh, as you go through uh until we replace it with uh under apron that's a little more decorative oh okay and then they just fold it up put it in their pockets. And then when we replace it, we take that one back. Yeah. Right. Um, and rarely do we have guys that don't progress through enough. Um, uh, so, you know, we always get them back. Yeah. 
I think we might lose one or two every couple of years. See, again, yeah, ours, our, as part of our initiatic fee, the that's included, apron cost is included, at least in our lodge, and about every lodge, it's included in that fee. And so that's the other justification I say is that, hey, the guy bought it. He just paid for his apron. If he only goes through the enterprise degree and doesn't continue for some reason, he, he it's his. He owns it. He bought it. We told him it's his. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we told him that little cheap one it was his, but then we give him the pretty one at the end, right? <laughs> You're one of those past masters, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Uh, but, you know, um, I know I wish, uh, and then when I got, when they get raised as a master mason in our lodge, our secretary tells them all of their dates. Now, that's changed since our secretary has changed, but it used to be that, uh, like, all of ours, uh, the master mason aprons have the lines here. Uh, and they, they get a little stamp in there that has your uh, entered apprentice, fellow craft, and, and master mason degree date. So, our place for you to put them. Um, I had all mine filled in, and then they gave me this worshipful past master's apron. And then um, I was being kind and generous one day and, and uh, gave my apron to a brother who. Uh, lost everything in a flood once, and uh, I didn't write down my dates. <laughs> all I remember was October, November, December. Bang, bang, bang. That's all I remember. <laughs> so I have to go down and get the dates from our, our uh, uh, secretary so I can put them into this apron again. Okay. But we've digressed way off. <laughs> That's all right. We're, we're still, so, uh, Matt, I know you went and grabbed your deputy's jewel. Do you still have that handy that we were talking about past master's jewel and basically it's a past deputy's jewel, the same idea. Uh, if, uh, if you look at that, you'll see it's, it's exactly the same as the grandmaster's jewel, except it's a star instead of the sun. Mm, yeah, I see that. And so in some jurisdictions, the master gets the compasses, the square and the quadrant, but they have the sun inside. And so in our jurisdiction, that's the grandmaster. We say that if you have a son inside. Yeah, if we had the son inside, it would be grandmaster. So something I had been taught, I forgot to mention. Uh, do you uh, make sure, if you think about it, when you get your deputy's apron, Matt, to have the the master, grandmasters that you served under sign the under flap? Oh, that'd be cool, yeah. It's kind of a... Kind of a secret, secret tradition. Yeah, it'll be it'll be worth more when in the YouTube. <laughs> Not so secret no more. It's online, but uh, everybody we, knows it. I I was, I was gonna do that, and then unfortunately mine was stolen. I my car, my truck was broken into shortly after I, uh, ah. shortly after I, got mine, and so my, my apron and my case and all that stuff. I had had one made. Talk about fancy. I. I did spend a lot of money. I shopped around, but in France, I found one in France and had a past deputy's apron made in France. It was a little bit bigger, so everybody joked me, joked with me about it. I said, "Well, you can come take it off." <laughs> but uh, I'm a bigger guy, so it was nice to have a little bigger apron. And uh, but uh, anyway, so it was it, it, all that stuff. My lodge bag and everything got stolen on my truck, and so I for a while, for a while, a few months, I wore my white apron in protest. I went all the way back to Enterprise. I said, forget it. So uh, it was, and, and then I hope I don't uh, get emotional here, but my mentor, of course, uh, past Grandmaster Al Jorgensen, 
he uh, he said, hey, we can't have past deputies out there running around with our white apron. He said, you can use mine until you find a replacement. So I wore his past deputy's apron uh, for a few months. Actually, I've worn it a few times since then. I forget mine or something, and he, <laughs> he lets me borrow it. But I was very, very honored to be able to have use of that for a while. And, uh, and then the district and Zane McEwen, actually one of our guests, he coordinated it and presented me with a new apron uh, a year or so ago. It was it was pretty emotional. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Yeah. It was, it was yeah, that's, that's classy. So uh, I've got to go here in a couple minutes. I don't know if we want to wrap up or if we want to, you guys want to yeah. roll up. I think we probably beat it to death. Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, it's probably a good time to wrap it up. I know we got a little short, but, you know, that'll give our uh, future listeners uh, an extra few minutes to do whatever they thought they wouldn't be able to get done in that. <laughs> I, do, I do think that would be kind of cool. I'm looking online to see there there is a way to do to prove Euclid's 47 problem using a circle and a, and a quadrant. So I want to learn how to do that and present it to Lodge. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so just as a quick note, uh, yeah, remember, remind, remember to subscribe and all that. But uh, hopefully, this—it sounds like this test of this new system worked really well because next week, it the old system is no longer available on YouTube. So, hopefully, this new system worked good, and we'll be using it again. Uh, if anybody hears or knows of any option for other to be able to do a YouTube live show with a group, let us know. We'd be happy to test it out that would be great so um final thoughts from you matt uh just as always i'm, I'm glad you guys uh, tolerate me being here and uh it was an interesting conversation it's amazing that i know we only represent two jurisdictions between the three of us but if you talk to like you know, pennsylvania everything's completely different all over again it's a it's a you go from jurisdiction to jurisdiction the differences are are, are pretty cool so yeah. But, uh, yeah thanks for having me and i look forward to next week Excellent. And uh, David? Same, same. It, it's it just, as he said, the differences even between districts is kind of fun and between lodges. And then, like you said, uh, you have two or three or four lodge, different rituals and different things in your lodge. So that's, that's kind of fun, too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my sentiments exactly. Again, thanks, everybody, for watching and uh, listening. Um, we're uh, gaining more popularity and being on more uh, apps as uh, the days go by. So, uh, we appreciate your support. Again, please uh, review us on these apps and uh, give us your thumbs up and, and uh, look and follow in on next week uh, and where we'll have more casual conversations about Freemason. Thanks so much. And David, you can take us offline. All right. Bye now. <laughs>